Romans chapter 8, I promise you here uh, this morning as we walk through this, and I know that uh, uh, for you, it's just as much a blessing that it is for me. Uh, this is probably one of the hardest portions of, of uh, Scripture to teach here in Romans chapter 8. It's, it's considered by many, like I said, the pinnacle of, of all of our Bible. When you think about all the wonderful stories and all the great passages uh, that are in Scripture, but uh, Romans chapter 8 uh, is such a, a, a wonderful work. Um, you know, this series we, we've titled Made Right because we, we start to understand, uh, you know, this, as Paul would admonish us, that the just shall live by faith. And uh, it's not something that we can do for ourselves. It's something that God has done for us. It's what we studied last week in the concepts of, of theologically speaking, you know, election and predestination that God before the, the foundation of the world ever was, that he chose us in Christ Jesus. And those are just amazing truths that, that you try to wrap your mind around it and, and it just boggles you know, the human mind. And then it brings us to you know, the conclusion here in verses 31 through 39. I titled this morning's message, Where Does Your Story Begin? And I want you to think about that because once you understand that where your story begins, Romans chapter 8 will make sense to you like it never has before. We're going to read this in verses 31 through 39, and then we'll pray here. And so I just want to invite you to read along with me. I'm going to be reading the NLT translation, and you follow along in whatever translation is that you use. It says in verse 31, it says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? And since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? It's a question. It says, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and raised us to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelmingly victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Awesome. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would just take your word and Lord massage it deep within our hearts. Lord, if we just truly could come to the place where we not just accept, but believe at the deepest place of our being that your word is true, how, how free we would be in you, how much more peace we would enjoy, how much more comfort in the midst of trials and troubles, Lord, to see your hand, Lord, and to trust as we walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray that, Holy Spirit, that, Lord, you would make it not just real for us, but make it 
true within each of our lives today. We appreciate you. We love you. We pray for those, Lord, that are hurting, that are sick today. I think of Leticia. Well, I think of Freddie. Uh, Lord, I think of Vanessa. Lord, in particular, these that, uh, Lord, are just going through difficult health issues right now. You know, so many more, uh, Lord. Um, I know I could go on and on. Um, I think of just people in, just in our own church than outside of it. Uh, God, may they know your comfort and your peace. May they know your healing today. But most of all, Lord, may they know your presence, Lord. For in your presence is the fullness of joy. Lord, we love you. We give you today. We look forward to what you have for us. We lift up Shane and Vanessa, Lord, to you. We thank you for them. Uh, we celebrate them. Uh, Lord, may their marriage, Lord, be everything that they would hope that it would be in you. Thank you, Lord, that it's you who brought them together. It's you who will keep them together. And uh, Lord, we celebrate the gift of love today as we celebrate them. Thank you for everybody who's working in the church today and just pulling up and just seeing so many people just showing their love and their support for them just by serving and providing and caring. It's a wonderful thing to be part of the, the body of Christ. And Lord, may you be magnified in your church today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I begin with a question. You know, how confident are you in your relationship with Jesus? Something to think about. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the lowest, 10 being the highest, how confident are you about God's love for you? Not God's love in general, but God's love for you in a very, very personal way. And, and if you're a note taker, I would encourage you to write this down, to think this through, and I'll share with you a few quotes as I go along here. But, you know, when you think about your confidence in the Lord, your confidence is, is directly proportionate to where you see yourself in Christ. And, and you might put it like this. Where does your story begin? If your story begins with you, you're not going to be confident at all. What Paul was, was admonishing us and what he's been drawing out, you know, here at the end of Romans chapter 8 you know, is that, you know, we start, like I shared with you, that there's no condemnation, and then he ends up with there's no separation, right? And so this great celebration that we enjoy, you know, as believers is coming to the place where we understand where our story begins. And really, if it's like this, if, if you went to a show and you came in 20 minutes late, the story might take on a whole different meaning to you, wouldn't it? And, and for many of us, that's the problem. See, we look at our life from the perspective of the fall. We look at it only from the fall forward. You know, we could say we're post-Eden here because that's really the only life that we've ever known. And so when we look at things that way, it's easy to, like I said, be discouraged and to look at all these things that Paul looks around and makes mention of here. But if you, like the Apostle Paul, and what he drew out last week for us is to understand that, you know, God who he foreknew, right? Like God knew, and again, people go, well, he, he predestined some. And then unfortunately what happens with predestination is it becomes what we talk about is called double election, that God has elected some for heaven. And because scripture says that, there's, there's a, a great leap that people make. And it's a doctrinal error because the scriptures don't teach that. Is then to go, well, if God elected some for heaven, that what that means is then he also elected some for hell. Which is not true at all. When it's scripture says that he foreknew, what that's saying is he had knowledge of. There was a relationship there. And in any person that God has a relationship with that he foreknew, it says he then predestined them. It's like saying it like this in a, in a way that we all comprehend. 
He who began a good work in you is what? Faithful to complete it. You get that, right? And you go, because you have a relationship with God, God is faithful to complete the work that he started in you. Well, the same aspect of predestination, it says who he foreknew. That gets dropped all the time. People, oh, he predestined you. Like he just made this, you know, random, you know, like you're in, you're out, you're in. It says, no, those he foreknew, those that he had a relationship. See, because God's not bound by space or time. So he knows, he knows if we're going to have a relationship with him. He knows if we're not going to have a relationship with him. So he, he peels it back to this point, Paul does. And, and again, that's not to discourage us, it's to bring us comfort. Because really what it's telling us when we think about our relationship, where does your story begin? And what Paul is laying out for us is our story begins in the heart of God. It begins with the love of God. Not with the fall. And again, so where you start your story, obviously, like I said, will determine, you know, your perspective on how you look at yourself and how you look at life here. And, and again, you know, I, I, I look at this and, you know, if all we had in our study of the book of Romans, if we had everything before Romans 8, it would be very discouraging if you think about this. Because what Paul is doing is he's dealing with it from a post-Eden or post-fall perspective, right? If you look at the, you know, the first, you know, three chapters, you know, it, it makes it perfectly clear over and over again, you know, that Paul was doing what? He was pointing out that all had what? Sinned, right? And fallen short of the glory of God. And then he went on in chapter four and he demonstrated to us that the only way to escape the wrath of the judgment of God was through faith in Jesus Christ. That was the same way that Abraham was justified, the same way that David was justified. He said was by putting their faith and their hope and their trust in God. In chapter five, you know, Paul points out that it's our justification, you know, in Christ uh, that really sets us free to think of that concept, right? Justification, just as if I'd never sinned. That's the concept that he brings out that. So where sin abounds, what did he say? He said, grace does what? All the more. He said, it, you could say grace, what? Super abounds, you know. Uh, it, it super exceeds the sin that we commit. In chapter six, you know, Paul went on, he reminds us that our identity is in Christ. And because we identify him in life, we also identify with him in death. And if we've died, guess what? We've died to sin. And uh, that's where we, we find our true freedom is in death to ourselves and being alive to Christ. So we're no longer slaves to sin but slaves to righteousness. Again, understanding what? That the wages of sin is what? Death. Yeah, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So in studying you know, Romans, I go, okay, I can see how our attention gets drawn to the fall and the effects of the, of the fall. But what Paul is doing in Romans chapter eight and what makes it so glorious is that he goes actually back now to what happened before the fall and what happened in the heart of God. What was God doing even before we were born into this world? Again, chapter seven, he kind of drove that point home, didn't he? He said, you know, that the wishing was, you know, to do good was present within me. So what he was telling us is that you're not going to be justified by by the works of the flesh, you're not going to be justified by trying to keep the law because the law had a purpose and the law's purpose all along was to bring us to God, not to set us free in the sense from God as if we would need God if we could just keep the law. 
It was virtually impossible. And so Paul ends Romans chapter 7 by saying what? Thanks be to God who what? Gives us the victory that's in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to chapter 8, and that's where he begins to lay this out. And he says, you know, in verse 1, he says, there's no, because he says, therefore, right? Because of everything I just told you, he says, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Remember when I told you, don't put a, don't put a comma where God put a period. It's the, if you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation, period. But see, our problem is we see everything from the fall. We, we, in a sense, know ourselves. We know, you know, maybe what nobody else knows, you know, what's that old expression, you know, you, who you really are is who you are when what? When no one's looking, right? And we all know who we are when no one's looking. And, and it's all, not always a good picture. And so, again, and I'll, I'll cover some of this as we go along here. So, you know, in chapter 8, you know, what Paul is doing is he's revealing the heart of God that what? Precedes the fall. And it's important, you know, again, when you think about your story, where does your story begin? If your story begins with you and your story begins with the fall, everything is going to be suspect to uh, the attack of the enemy. But if your story begins with God himself, and that's what the apostle Paul understands, and that's what he begins to drive home, is that's why he'll go on later. And then what are we called to do? He said, you know, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You know, the writer of Hebrews says, fixing our eyes upon who? Jesus. Yeah, getting our eyes off ourselves, our circumstance, our situation, whatever trials, tribulation we're going through, and fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So look at this in verse 31 here. He says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? So he's basically saying nothing in time or eternity can alter God's heart for us. So what's so wonderful? That's, that's what I'm reminding you. What's so wonderful? Like I said, there's no condemnation, right? That are those that are in Christ Jesus, none. If you're in Jesus, you've been indwelt by God himself. He comes and he lives within you. If you're in Jesus Christ, you're adopted, you're adopted into God's family. So think about this. Again, forgiveness, post, adoption, pre. Think about that. Pre-fall is adoption. God created you for himself, right? But we sinned against God, Adam and Eve. And again, what happened? So something came between our relationship. So if you think about this, you know, God doesn't just forgive us. Paul is saying, but in Romans chapter 8, he what? He adopts us, right? And, and again, he takes in, us into his family. So basically what Paul is saying is that adoption is even better than being forgiven. It was J.I. Packer who said this, to be right with God, the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God, the father is even greater. And that's so important that, that we understand that God doesn't just love us, but he says that we're heirs of, and of his promises and that he is going to provide for us. And again, so once we respond to God, what does God do? He's telling us that he commits himself to us, period, period. Nothing can change that. I mean, you think about that. Nothing that you have ever done would make God for us. And nothing you'll ever do ever, ever could. God doesn't say, you know, I was almost for you, right? If God be for you, right, who can stand against you? He didn't say, I was almost for you, but then you went and did this, Right? Or, oh, hey, you know, on such and such date, you know, you did this. And then, you know what? I was for you. I mean, because isn't that kind of 
human in that respect? Well, don't we do that with people? Oh, I was for you until what? You know, do it to me once, what? Shame on you. Do it to me twice, shame on me. And so we get these concepts even with God, that, that God can't, he can't, he can't be for us. No. But you think about that. We read verses, you know, 28 through 30, and it says, before the world was ever formed, God knew us. And he knew that we would answer the call for those that are in Christ Jesus and that we would come to him because of Jesus. The kindness of God draws a man to repentance. That's what he's told us. Romans chapter two, verse four. And because we've come to him, what does he promise us? He says, you're not just justified, but you are also ultimately going to be what? Glorified. Something that he shares with us now, but is still futuristic, future tense. And so no enemy can withstand his purposes. You think about it. I mean, the devil wasn't just defeated once, right? What do think about it? Was, when was the devil defeated? Well, Isaiah says he was defeated in the heavenly realm, right? Jesus said, I saw Lucifer, what? Fall from heaven, like what? Like, a, like lightning, right? He, he saw the, the fall. And then, but that wasn't the ultimate defeat. The ultimate defeat was what? The cross itself where he defeated sin and death. And the resurrection three days later was proof of it. But that's not even the end of it. There's still, you know, there's still one more defeat, the ultimate defeat of the enemy. And you know when that takes place? Revelation chapter what? 20. What happens to, what happens to the devil? He is cast into what? The lake of fire. Yeah. So he's been defeated and he's going to be defeated. There, it, it, it's so ultimate in that, in that respect. It's in the heavenly realms. It was also in the earthly realm. In every possible way, the enemy of your soul and my soul has been defeated. And so that's what Paul, Paul is drawing us to, to, to comprehend. You know, Jesus on the cross, he said, it is what? It's finished. It's done. He's defeated. You know, I love that song. You know, the enemy's been defeated, right? Death couldn't what? hold us down. It can't. And that's the encouragement here. You know, we think about the ultimate, you know, enemy that we all face is what? It's death. It's the greatest fear that people have. And, and here Paul's reminding us that death doesn't have anything on us. It's been defeated. Verse 31 again says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If you're a note taker, you definitely want to mark this down or you want to lock this into your memory bank. You know, the word if there. In, in verse 31 is better translated with the word, English word, sense. Sense. It's so important when you read that. Sense. It's not if, in that regard, we read that we go, if. That puts a lot on me, doesn't it? It puts a lot on you. But it says, but sense, sense, since God is for us. Doesn't that read differently? Since God is for us, who could ever be against us. There's no question mark. There might be question marks with me. There might be question marks with you, but it's not about me. It's not about you. There's no question with God. Amen. And that's what he, that's what he's drawing out for us here. I mean, if we've been reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus Christ, it's pretty safe to say God is for you. Regardless, regardless of what you and I face. And like I said, if, if, if you only understand the book of Romans up to chapter seven, I love what one commentator said. He said, the familiar refrain, something goes like this. He said, you're a sinner, a traitor, a depraved wretch. Basically, you're pond scum. I like that. Pond scum. He says, really? 
But God, in order to show the world what a great guy he is, he'll let you into heaven anyway. You know, that's kind of the concept that we get is what the author is saying here. He says, we can't start with the fall in our understanding of who we are and our role in history. That's like coming into the movie 20 minutes late. Yes, we are not what we were meant to be, and we know it. It says, when passing a stranger on the street, we happen to meet eyes, we quickly avert our glance. Cramped into an awkward community of an elevator, we search for something, anything to look at instead of each other. We sense that our real self is ruined and we fear to be seen. The fact that we don't see our own glory is part of the tragedy of the fall. A sort of spiritual amnesia has taken all of us. Our souls were made to live in the larger story. But as Christensen discovered, we have forgotten our part. And that's what Paul in Romans 8 is. He's reminding us of the script, the true script. He's reminding us of our part. You could say that he's filling in the blank of the 20 minutes that we all missed because of the fall. I like what he goes on to say. He says, in the end, all we've ever wanted is to be loved. Love comes from God, writes St. John. We don't have to get God to love us by doing something right, even loving him. The Bible says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Someone has noticed, someone has taken the initiative. There is nothing we need to do to keep it up because his love for us is not based on what we've done, but who we are. His beloved, I belong to my lover and his desire is for me. Song of Songs, chapter seven, verse 10. So the question that begs to be asked today, how confident are you in God's love for you? And again, that depends on where you come into the story of your redemption. If it's in your failure, it will always be suspect. Because what? For all have what? Sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you come in prior even to the cross and understanding, you know, before the the world was ever created, that God loved you. And in that plan, you know, that included then our salvation, obviously. God knew that we would fail. And that's why he sent his son into this world to die for us. And that's what verse 32 goes on to say. It says, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? How many have ever bought a new car? You know, now the old days, if you bought a new car, it was kind of like, you ever seen those commercials? Well, probably happened a lot. You know, did anybody buy anything during COVID? You bought stuff online. You just ordered it. Did you ever, did you ever go to order something and then decide you didn't want it and you'd click off on it? And then a screen came up and said, before you go, and then they offered you a discount. Did anybody see, get any of those? Right. And you're going, well, I'm going to do that on everything. Then I'm just going to, so you'd start hitting it. You know, I'm not going to buy it. And then hopes that then sometimes they didn't care. It's like, if you're not going to buy it, somebody else says, you don't want our toilet paper. That's fine. Go without, you know, they didn't come back and go, Hey, no, no, we want to get your business. But some of them want your business so bad. They go, Hey, don't go. We're offering, you know, two for the price of one, right? Type of thing. It reminds me of buying a car. You used to buy a car and they'd go, Hey, we're going to give you the car mats. Uh, we're going to give you this. Now you go buy a car. What do they do? They go, uh, you want the car mats? They go, those are $300 extra. They go, what are you talking about? They're in the car. You're going to, well, we're going to take them out. Uh, you're going to, they're in the car that I'm test driving 
and you're going to take them out. And you go, but I've, I'm, so does the price come down by $300 if you take them out? Because right here, they're in, oh no, we don't include all that. So everything's an add-on, right? So you think about this with God, because we can kind of get this mentality. You go, no, he's going, I gave you my son. The, the, I gave you the most expensive thing that I had to offer, right? You know, Peter writes, we've been, we've been redeemed with what? Not with silver and gold, but with something that money couldn't buy, the very precious blood of Jesus Christ, right? He's going, so if God would offer his son for me and for you, for our sin, he goes, would he withhold anything else from you? But don't we do that? We go, oh God, you know, I need help with the car payment this month. I need help with the rent. I need help with, and, you, and God, I don't know about that one. Whew, man, you know, it's like, are you kidding me? You know, I mean, that's how we, we think of God. Oh, I can't even ask him for that. He's going to say no, because it's just, you know, no, I love the Old Testament, right? Hey, God owns the cattle on what? 40 hills. I mean, if he's got to sell some cattle to pay some bills, it's okay. Cows make babies, okay? It, they'll just replace them, you know? It, God, there's nothing too difficult with God. But yet we get, this, we get this approach. But again, because it's where we come into the story. Because if you look at it from your perspective and mine, I go, I'm not worthy, right? That's, that's not why God blesses us. It's not because I'm worthy. It's because he's worthy, amen? Because God is good. You know, somebody, I'll say God is good. And somebody, he's good all the time, right? God is good all the time. But it's where you come into your story. Your story of redemption. Are you coming in 20 minutes late? If you are, you're missing so much. But if you're coming in where Paul is addressing it in Romans chapter 8, and all of a sudden you start to go, okay, now it makes sense. Because this story started long before you and I ever gave our hearts to Jesus Christ. It started in the heart of God. It's beginning that we comprehend his love for us and his desire for us. Verse 33 goes on, it says, who dare then accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. So who can condemn us if, if God is for us and Jesus is our attorney and he's representing us? So he's already declared us innocent. So who could be successful? Think about this. Who could be successful in bringing a charge against the elect of God? See, we, have, we fear what? Oh, we'll be found out. We'll be found out. Jesus doesn't even entertain an accusation against us. That's the beauty of it. He doesn't even entertain it. We've already been justified, already been declared innocent. It says, then who then will condemn us? He says, no one. He answers the question. It's rhetorical. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he's pleading for us, right? What is... What is 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, it's my dear children, I'm writing this to you, John writes, he says, so that you will not sin. He's given us his words so that what? We can walk, we can walk with God. We don't have to sin, we choose to sin. He says, but I'm writing this to you that you do not sin. But if anyone does sin, he says, we have an advocate or we have what? An attorney who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Jesus did it all. He was born for us. He died for us. And now he intercedes for us. You know, here's an interesting point. Those of you from a legal perspective, you know, and that's what Paul's drawing out here. If an attorney takes your case, can the attorney judge you? No. All they can do is what? Represent you. So we, that's why, you know, attorney client privilege is, is so important here. And so when Jesus is, becomes your advocate, he does that deliberately. 
he's, he's putting himself in that place. Remember the woman who was caught in adultery? Remember? And he had all their accusers, and one by one, Jesus drives them away. Then he looks at the woman. He says, woman, where are your accusers, right? And she said, what? I have none. And he says, well, Jesus could have judged her if he wanted to, but that's not what he came to do. He came as an advocate. He says, I judge you not. Go and sin no more. You could say he took her case and he represented her and he set her free. Verse 35 goes on. It says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? It says, as the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. So what Paul is doing here, he's reminding us that if any of these things could ever separate the believer from the love of Christ, you know, that fatal blow would have been dealt to us, what? Decades ago, hundreds of years, thousands of years ago. But the life of the Christian is what? It's a living life of death. We are constantly dying. We're dying to ourselves. We're living to God. Ultimately, you know, we're, we'll die in this world. And to be absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. Are people suffering? today in the kingdom of heaven? Are they being martyred today? Are they being persecuted? Is that ever changed? And you go, no, those things. And guess what? It doesn't alter God's plan. It doesn't change God's plan in the least. Philip Yancey, he tells a story when he was in college. It actually goes back when he was in high school. When he was in high school, he was a nerd, he says. And uh, so he studied chess and he became a really proficient chess player. He could beat most everybody that he played. And then he kind of just, you know, after he got, went to college, he, he quit playing. And then uh, he finally, he, he ends up uh, meeting this guy who's a really good chess player. And so he's thinking, you know, that, um, you know, I, I, I know a few things about chess. He goes, we used to read, you know, nerdy books about chess. And, and uh, he said, you know, I think I could beat this guy. Well, this guy beat him every time that, that they played. And he said he learned something about the predestination of God and the election of God by playing chess with this guy. And he said, because he said, I would, he goes, I would, I would go on an offensive move. And he goes, and he would go on a defensive move. And he goes, and then I would just do something like I'd study up. And he goes, I would do something that was totally radical, you know, in, in the game of chess. And he goes, I'd make this move. And he goes, and he would counter me even with a negative move. And he would turn it to his good. And he goes, and he beat me every single time. And he goes, it didn't matter what I did. If it was positive, if it was negative, no matter what, he goes, he beat me. He used it to his advantage. And he goes, and I get this sense, he goes, you know, in my kind of morbid way of thinking as a human being that God has that capacity, you know, in eternity, that no matter what we do, you know, good, evil, bad, whatever it might be, somehow, some way, God has the ability to counter that move and turn all things for his glory and for our good. And I love that because it kind of puts it in a way that I can, I can wrap my, my mind around, you know, hopefully that, that helps you. One commentator put it like this, trouble is a catastrophe and disaster such as we have just this week. He says, will hardship do it? That means that the tight, narrow places we have to go through sometimes. Will persecution do it? That is hurt deliberately, inflicted upon us because we are Christians. He says, will famine, lack of food and money do it? And we were thinking about this, you know, it's kind of where we're at in the world today, right? You know, the price of everything that's going up. He says, will famine, lack of food and money do it? Will nakedness or lack of clothes, will danger or threat to our lives? Will the sword, war, riot, uprising, will it do it? Paul says, no. 
in these things we are what? And I love that in the Greek language. It doesn't, when it says we are conquerors, it says we are super conquerors. We are more than conquerors because rather than dividing us from Christ, they draw us closer to him. They make us cling harder. They scare us and make us run to him. When we are independent and we think that we can make it on our own, these things strike and we start whimpering and we run for home and we cling all the closer. Again, it's like that chess match. Even all the negative things that go on in the world. When you're in Christ Jesus, what happens? God uses it for his glory and for our good. It just draws us closer. Have you found that? During COVID, did you get closer to God or did you get distant from God? Well, some people got distant. It says, you know, the times got tough and it says in the love of many, it waxed cold. But for those that are in Christ Jesus, what did it do? You just held on tighter. You just believed more. You just trusted God all the more. And you go, more power to you. Verse 37 goes on. It says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Like I said, instead of separating us from Christ, these things only succeeded in drawing us closer to him. Super conquerors is what we become. Since we can never be defeated. Think about that. All we are is more than conquerors. Verse 38 goes on, it says, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. I mean, just because God's word says it doesn't mean the devil's not going to try. You know, we're more than conquerors, but does that mean that the, does the devil just turn and go, okay, all right. You know, in his book, uh, Grace Alone, uh, Sinclair Ferguson, he identifies four major fiery darts that Satan uses to unsettle uh, believers and to rob us of our assurance and the peace of God and to question God's love ultimately for us. The fiery dart, number one, he says, God is against you. That's what the devil says. He, he's not really for you. You know, how can you believe he is for you when, you know, you see things that are happening in your life? It's, it's a great fiery dart that he uses. Second fiery dart, he says, I have accusations I will bring against you because of your sins, Satan, he argues. What can you say in defense? Nothing. Guilty is charged. Jesus didn't come for the innocent. He came for the guilty. Fiery dart number three, you can say you're forgiven, but there is a payback day coming. Boy, how many of us don't believe that? You know, I mean... We didn't know karma is not a Christian word, but, you know, there sure is a lot of Christians that use the word karma, right? That's just karma. It's just, you know, you know, what goes around comes around. God's just up there waiting on that day when I'm really happy and everything's going my way and I'm singing that song. He's just going to drop kick me, you know. I mean, we, we, we think things like that. How will you defend yourself on that day? You don't need to. Jesus does. Fire dart number four. The enemy comes to you and he says, given your track record, what hope is there that you'll persevere to the end? Oh, that's, a, that's one that happens all the time. Ah, you know what? You're not going to make it to the end. You know, you're going to cramp up, you know, in your spiritual life, you know, three quarters of the way. And then you're just going to walk off the track, so to speak. And that's called fear. There's no fear in love, though, the Bible says, for what? Perfect love casts out fear. God's working in our life that way. Verse 39, and I love this. He says, no power in the sky above 
or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the Apostle Paul, he he concludes, you know, chapter 8 here by looking around. He's looking at anything and everything that could possibly separate us from God's love. And he throws you know, out of every worst case scenario that there could be to threaten, you know, God's love. He says, you know, death, I mean, death's not going to pull me away from God's love. He says, neither will anything in this life, nor cosmic spiritual powers, nor anything in time, no disappointment, no disease, no broken romance, no financial crisis, no mental illness will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Because why? Because God's love has no limit. There's no limit to God's love. Ruth Harms Calkin, she wrote this kind of in a paraphrase of her own in her journal of verses 38 and 39. She said, God, I may fall flat on my face. I may fail until I feel old and beaten and done in. Yet your love for me is changeless. All the music may go out of my life. My private world may shatter to dust. Even so, you will hold me in the palm of your steady hand. No turn in the affairs of my fractured life can baffle you. Satan, with all of his braggadocia, cannot distract you. Nothing can separate me from your measureless love. Pain can't, disappointment can't, anguish can't, yesterday, today, tomorrow can't, the loss of my dearest love can't, death can't, life can't, riots, war, insanity, hunger, neurosis, disease, None of these things, nor all of them heaped together, can budge the fact that I am dearly loved, completely forgiven, and forever free through Jesus Christ, your beloved son. That's just powerful. What can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? Nothing. What can separate those who are in Christ Jesus from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? Nothing. Why? Uh, I love this. I read this yesterday. I was studying just a note someone had posted. It said, because God is for us, no one can successfully be against us. Because God gave us Christ, he will also give us everything we need. Because God justified us, there is no one who can successfully accuse us. Because Jesus is crucified, risen, and interceding for us, there is left no one who can condemn us. Because God forever loves us, We are more than conquerors. Because God loves us, we will never be separated from his love. Because of all these things, they are true. And so really, in closing, the most important thing, you know, today, the question that we need to ask of ourselves, you know, am I in Christ Jesus? That's really the most important. Are you in Christ today? And the way we, we are in Christ Jesus is by opening our hearts to him and receiving him as Savior and Lord inviting him to to be the Lord of my life, finding the forgiveness that he offers by his shed blood on Calvary's cross and walking with him, walking in the plan, learning the plan. The very thing that you're doing, I don't know, this this isn't really that difficult, is it? Like what we're doing today? This is what we do, right? Being not conformed to the world. I mean, you could be at home today watching the news and that would just get you mad, you know, and upset. Or you can set aside time and you can, what are we doing? We're, we're reading God's word. We're studying God's word. We're thinking about God's word. We're meditating on God's word. We're thinking, oh yeah, you know, what's the center of my story? Is it me or is it Jesus? If, if, it's, if I'm the center of my story, it's really frustrating. 
and, and will always be suspect. Man, but when Jesus becomes the center of my story and I realize, hey, you know what? Even if I walked in 20 minutes late, it didn't change the fact that God is for me. And if God is for me, then what? Who can stand against me? There, there's freedom, there's comfort, there's joy. And it all, it all focuses on a relationship with God. Something that he offers to us freely, but he does give the choice to us. He does not force his love upon us. He gives us that, that opportunity. And my hope is that you're, you've, you're choosing Christ, that you've chosen Christ. And if you haven't, don't, don't leave here today. If you're watching at home, don't, don't turn the channel until you, know, you make peace with God through Jesus Christ. For God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. That's what it's all about. I love this chapter, man. It's just so powerful. We could just, again, we could spend weeks in this, but uh, we got to get on to chapter nine. So um, we'll close in prayer. And hopefully if you're able to make it back uh, after uh, second service, I know it'll be a real blessing to uh, Shane and Vanessa. And if you can't, just keep them in prayer today. Father God, we thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity. Um, Lord, as we study your word together to... Lord, just let it sink into our hearts to, to know that, uh, again, if God be for us, who can stand against us? There's just so much freedom in you, all because of your love for us. And Lord, to, to think that before the world was ever created, you, you knew who we were. You, you knew everything that we'd ever go through in this life. And you've made us a promise that no matter what we would go through, and it's, it's probably the greatest comfort that I get to share today, um, for those that are hurting, those that are sick, is that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And I pray that those, Lord, that are hurting today, those that, Lord, are suffering, they would know your peace. And for those of us today, uh, Lord, that we'd have great reason to celebrate. Um, when we think about this, you know, in, in all these things, what, what do we say? We say, hallelujah, Lord, hallelujah, that God, you've been so good to us, so faithful. God, just use this day uh, for your glory. May you just, again, uh, proclaim your blessing upon your church today. May we recognize afresh, Lord, that before this world was ever created, God, you chose us in Christ Jesus. You, you've loved us with an everlasting love. Lord, those are just things that because of the craziness of this life, we just, we forget so often. And so, Lord, just thank you today. Thank you for the reminder, Lord, from your word. And these aren't things that, that I made up, some man made up, but uh, Lord, we're just simply receiving what you declare to us in your word today. God, let it ring true in each of our lives. We pray for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church,